Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord the king. And when Saul looked at him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. 
And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. In this chapter, David is hiding in a cave from Saul. Saul hears the area that David's in. He takes 3,000 men to go after David and happens to go and relieve himself in the very cave that David's hiding in. Once they realize that Saul, David is challenged to deal with Saul the way he sees fit. They remind him he has permission from God to do that. What David decides to do is to sneak up on Saul. Uh, His robe is probably laying off to the side. The cave's dark. He slips up, cuts a piece of the robe off, and goes back into hiding. Some of his men wanted him to kill Saul, but David said, no, I can't do that. The Lord anointed him king over Israel. I can't raise my hand against someone that the Lord has anointed. So when Saul is through, he leaves the cave, and when he gets a distance from the cave, David comes out and calls out to Saul. He pays him the proper respect by bowing before him, and then he says to Saul, I really wish you would stop listening to the voices that are telling you to come after me and kill me because I'm guilty of some kind of treason. If I wanted to kill you, I could have done it. I don't want to kill you. David shows him the corner of his robe. Saul realizes that he's being sincere. And in that moment, Saul is grateful, acknowledges that David will be the next king of Israel, and just asks David to promise not to cut off his offspring from the face of the earth. And David agrees. So here we see David refusing to fight evil with evil, but actually taking a stand against evil, refusing to be overcome by it. We have seen Saul going to drastic measures to try to capture David, to kill him. And I think we should learn a lesson from that, that evil will always go to drastic measures to try to overcome us. But what kept David from being overcome? And what can we learn from him so that we're not overcome by evil and give in to the temptation to fight evil with evil? In the English Standard Version that I was reading, verse 5 says that David's heart struck him. In the New American Standard Version, as translated, David's conscience bothered him. He had gone and cut a piece of David's robe off, and it bothered him that he had done it. And we may even wonder why it bothered him. He didn't kill him. He was just trying to make a point to Saul. But the reality is that David's intent for cutting off that piece of fabric may have been more sinister than what actually ends up playing out. He may have intended to mock Saul or torment him in some way. But his conscience got the best of him. Instead of doing any of that, he just let Saul know that he had had the opportunity and chose not to take it. It was David's conscience that kept him from being overcome by this evil. We talk about conscience sometimes, but may not always have a clear understanding of what's meant or intended, especially when we read about it in Scripture. But it seems any time in Scripture that someone is boasting of a clear conscience, what they're talking about is the fact that they don't have any ulterior motives. There are no conflicting issues within them when they take an action or say something. So when various characters in Scripture say that they had a clear conscience toward God, it means that they were doing everything they were doing for him because they thought it's what he wanted. They weren't doing it for themselves or to gain any advantage or even to get God to bestow on them a particular blessing. They were doing it because they thought it was the right thing. When I make claims about doing godly things or doing what God wants, but I actually have impure motives, selfish motives, or I'm saying one thing while doing another, very often that can create conflict in me. It can 
cause my heart to strike me. Now, unfortunately, if we ignore that long enough, that pain goes away and we can do things that are wrong or bad or even have bad motives when we do it and it not bother us anymore. But for those of us who are wholly devoted to God and wanting to please and honor Him, it will bother us if we see that we've made a bad choice. The Apostle Paul talks about his conscience when he's standing trial for preaching the gospel. In Acts 24, starting about verse 14, it says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Paul says, I believe so deeply everything that God has ever said, including the fact that there is going to be a resurrection and a judgment. I work hard, diligently to make sure that everything I'm doing, I'm doing for him. It's not for any other motive. It's not to gain favor of other people. It's not to acquire money or possessions, prestige, or any other kind of favors. Paul says that there's no conflict within him. There's no internal turmoil because of what he's saying and doing, even when it has him put in jail, because he knows he's doing the right thing for the right purposes. The same apostle writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11, says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul here describes what a good conscience should look like. If you are absolutely convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God, there is an appropriate response to his life, death, and resurrection. He died for us, so we should live for him. And there should be no conflict or struggle in that other than finding out the best ways to do it. When the same apostle writes to a young preacher named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The whole goal of what Paul is preaching and sending Timothy to convey to other churches is a love that comes out of hearts that are pure, consciences that are clear, and faith that is sincere. That clear conscience allows us to love without expecting anything in return, to be able to love unconditionally. This is the kind of conscience that David had. And so when evil presented itself, he didn't give in to the temptation to fight evil with evil, or even to allow himself to be overcome with this evil to make sure that he didn't have any internal conflict as he approached God. He made sure he honored God, which meant honoring those he had anointed. And in this case, it was Saul. And even though Saul had tracked him down and was trying to kill him, 
David knew it wouldn't be right for him to retaliate the same way. In our day, I don't think we have to look any further than our Facebook feed to see that a lot of folks who claim to be following God and honoring God are actually dishonoring Him by the way they treat other people. Even though those people may be wrong, those things pale in comparison to what Christians are doing when they demean those people, when they belittle them, when they mock them, when they tear them down instead of looking for ways to build them up and hopefully draw them closer to God. When someone does something we don't like, when they do things to us, the temptation is always to retaliate, to treat them the way they treated us, if not worse. But that's giving in to evil. That's trying to fight evil with evil. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. We're called to be light in the world, allowing God to clean our conscience and then doing nothing to scar it or damage it but keeping it clear so that our only motive is to honor and serve God. When we can do that, our conscience becomes almost like a lens that helps us see God and his work a little more clearly. And from this story about David, we can see that a clear conscience will allow us to see three things. One, it allows us to see God's wisdom. Once David realized Saul was in that cave, it was an opportunity for him to either kill him and get revenge for himself, or to let Saul know that no matter what Saul did, David was going to respond with righteous actions. A few chapters ago, we noted that David had written psalms while he was hiding in these caves, and they cry out to God, wanting mercy and deliverance. And as he's writing those songs, Saul keeps coming back. He keeps getting closer to David every time, and it wasn't making sense to David. But in this moment, David had seen God's wisdom. When David was presented with an opportunity, he was able to show himself faithful by honoring God rather than seeking revenge for himself. While before David had not been able to see what God was doing, why God was allowing Saul to continue his pursuit, In this moment, he could see that God was using this as an opportunity to mold and prepare David for something much greater. David would be king someday. To be a righteous king, he would need to learn some things about himself and his character and what it means to honor God in every situation. God's wisdom has always been to let him handle the retaliation. We should be people who are conduits of his love and his grace and his mercy. And that wasn't just for David. That's all through the New Testament. It's what God expects from us. And it sounds foolish to us at times because we'd rather get people back. We'd rather teach them a lesson. But when we have a clear conscience and we're willing to do whatever God wants in every circumstance, we start to see the wisdom of God and how it plays out to make our circumstance better. Keeping our conscience clear also allows us to see God's peace. As long as there was a battle between the house of David and the house of Saul, there would be a battle. It didn't matter who killed whom, there would be this escalation of violence. But by David refraining, choosing to honor God with his actions rather than to indulge his own selfish desires, he's able to experience some peace between he and Saul. That came about because he followed the teachings and the directives of God rather than his own instincts, rather than his own desires. Most of us long for peace in our life, but we don't see the actions and attitudes that we bring to the table that keep peace from happening in our lives. It's when we're wholly devoted to doing things God's way, when we have no ulterior motive for our own selves, 
but we're absolutely committed to doing God's will, that we will experience that peace. And a clear conscience also allows us to see justice. When things are set right, so often when we're trying to set things right on our own, we can't see when enough's enough. We keep going too far. We want an advantage, not just justice. But when we're doing what God wants for God's purposes, we start to see when he's setting things right. We see his fairness. We see his justice. Sometimes that doesn't happen quickly enough for us or doesn't look as strong as we would like for it to look. And so we take things into our own hands. But that's not justice. That's revenge. And that vengeance is for God, not for us. The reasons we often fail to see God's wisdom, experience his peace, and see his justice is because we don't have a clear conscience. And we're actually working for our own selfish purposes rather than God's purposes. We have a hard time imagining that God doesn't want the same thing that we want. And so we convince ourselves that we should keep doing what we're doing. That's exactly what Saul's been doing. He thought David was a traitor and needed to be killed and that that in some way was going to please God because God had delivered him. David was able to stand up to that evil because he had a clear conscience. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.